You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hello, and welcome to Lead to Soar. I'm your producer for the show, Mel Butcher, and we're coming to you today with a talk from the trio, the co-founders of A Career That Soars, Susan Colantuno and Michelle Redfern, and myself. We're talking today about a topic that comes up over and over again in advice for career women. The topic is confidence. I think this is the first of several conversations that we'll have on topics on and related to confidence. So take a listen, and we look forward to chatting with you on it more inside A Career That Soars. Welcome, dear listeners, to Lead to Soar. Michelle, welcome to Lead to Soar once again. It's great to be here. <laughs> awesome Thanks, to Mel. be here as always, Mel. As Thank always. You. All right. So for our new listeners who might be joining Lead to Soar, downloading Lead to Soar for the first time, why don't we do a few quick introductions? Susan, why don't we start with you? I'm Susan Colantuno. I am one of the co-hosts at A Career That Soars, which is the sponsor of the Lead to Soar podcast. I am thrilled that I have two other co-hosts, both of whom are on this podcast and will introduce themselves shortly. I have had a very long career helping women advance in their careers, and also helping organizations create environments which are conducive for women's advancement. As part of that, I was the founder and and the former CEO of Leading Women, which was a global organization that focused exclusively on helping women advance and helping organizations create those conducive and supportive environments. So I've been doing this work for a very very long time. It's incredibly rewarding to be able to share insights that I've gained in my career with uh, other women as they proceed in their journeys. Thank you so much, Susan and Michelle. Hey, Mel, thank you. And terrific to be here with you all. Now, what do I do? I Because I have what is called a portfolio career, because I, I took a very big risk in my, well, when I turned 50, actually, to exit my fabulous corporate career, which I'd been in for 30 something years to start my own business, which has ended up being a couple of businesses, advancing women in business and sports. So my title is managing director, but what I really do is I do two things. I work with organisations and organisational leaders to fix the systems that prevent women and other underrepresented people from coming into the business, being engaged in the business and advancing in the business. And at the heart of that, I'm a businesswoman. So I'm helping those those organisations fix their systems so the business can, well, frankly, flourish in a sustainable way. 
And the other part of my work that I do is I work directly with women to help them navigate the systems that are still so blue and well stacked against them. So there are so many, still so many barriers in workplaces that prevent women from reaching their full potential. So I'm a, a bit of a human GPS for, for women who want to navigate and have a career that soars. So, uh, and a career that soars and this podcast lead to soar is part of that work that I do directly with women. So I fix the system and I help women navigate the system. That's me, Mel. Great. Welcome. And I am Mel Butcher. I'm also a co-host inside A Career That Soars. And I produce the podcast here with Michelle. Occasionally, I host. And every now and then, we do shows like today, where we get the three of us together to have a chat on a particular discussion. And sometimes we're answering questions from you, our audience. Anyone can leave a career-related question for us at leadtosoar.com. There's a place there where you can leave a voicemail and leave your career question to have it answered on a future episode of Lead to Soar. All right, so let's get into today's topic. Today we're going to talk about confidence. And what we want to start with today is sort of definitions on a few words that are really important to this conversation. So let's start there. Let's start with what is confidence, what is courage, and what is competence? Oh, my God. What a big start. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I'm going to have a crack. Uh, and, okay. Uh, and I'm so... Confidence, all of that stuff, Mel. So there's a couple of things that really fly out for me right now. So number one, courage is not the absence of fear. And, and I've, I've totally stolen that from someone else, probably Brene Brown, because I just steal with pride from her a lot. But co uh, courage is not the absence of fear. Um, confidence is, you know, gee whiz, it's, it's talked about a lot, particularly when it comes to women. I don't know that I've ever had a conversation with a man about confidence, but anyway, I, I, I digress. It's about being so clear about who I am, what I bring, the value that I create, and my presence that I have in, in whatever interaction I'm having. And I think there's a difference between confidence and self-confidence. And, you know, for me, it's about saying where, because most people would be, well, I would imagine that typically we would be listening to a podcast or reading a book or an article around confidence because we're lacking it in some way. So for me, what is it? Which part is lacking for you? Uh, and, and that's a little bit garbly, but yeah, that, that real clear headedness about who I am and what I bring, that's confidence for me. Yeah. I see confidence, competence, and courage as three circles in a Venn diagram. They're related in, in multiple ways. For example, confidence comes and rests on a base of competence. But at the same time, confidence is what gives us the courage to push beyond the comfort zone of our known competence. So I think all three work together to help us take steps in our careers to put ourselves forward and to move towards success. That's so interesting that you say that because I'm writing it down in more of a list that less than a Venn diagram, but it makes me recall a particular article. Uh, well, it was actually a multimedia article by 
someone else that, that Mel and I actually had quite a, a good debate over. But and this in this it was about how to be confident by using different words and you know speaking up and being courageous. But this particular person said, you know, I never used to believe a word that came out of my own mouth. So there was the appearance, the outward appearance of confidence for her. And but that inner, that inner person did not believe a word she was saying um, of her own words. And and for me, that my own experience is that. So that competence piece is so important. I've always been relatively courageous, outwardly confident, but inwardly kind of a scared little weird person. So um, that confidence piece, uh, sorry, but that competence piece is so important, Susan. And again, I these are the aha moments that I've had over time and particularly since we've been working together that when you know your stuff, you're you're confident to talk about it. And in the sense of, of a business environment, hey, I really want to put forward an idea because I know how to help the business grow or sustain or solve a problem. Uh, and that competence piece is is so important, isn't it? Rather than Ooh. just going, hey, I've got an idea. Okay, that's, that's bananas. Forget about it. So it, the competence is a really important piece. Yes. I like also what you we're saying in terms of your definition of confidence having to do with inner belief in self is compared to the woman who never believed a word coming out of her mouth. I think that's, it must have been very uncomfortable for her. And I, that makes me feel sad on her behalf. Well, I've got to say, it's also slightly autobiographical, Susan, because can I talk, Mel, about fake it till you make it? which is advice I've got to say I've received and sadly given to other women and other people early in my career and probably didn't stop soon enough. You know, this fake it till you make it principle is, it's really doing a disservice to, to women because, you know, there's an, there's this saying that, that BS might get you to the top, but it won't keep you there. I, I kind of challenge that because I see a lot of really incompetent people still at the top and BS has <laughs> clearly got them there and keeping them there. But um, we're about, you know, let's be purists here. There's only so long you can maintain dissonance between the inner and the outer. And at some point, unless you've built your competence, doesn't matter how outwardly confident you are, you, you're going to get caught out. But also that disconnect between the inner and the outer me caused me a lot of anguish and caused me a lot of I just expended a lot of energy on being someone or trying to be someone that I I wasn't because I hadn't paid attention to what I really needed to do which was develop the skills develop the attributes and the strengths that I needed to be a really very very good businesswoman. So I want to come in here with a couple of quick thoughts if you Google the definition of confidence, the first thing that comes up is this. It says the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. And of course, we're talking about confidence in yourself. And the definition uses feeling as the first word. And that's why I struggle with this concept of relying on confidence or as though that's some kind of key towards the next steps because feelings come and go. Sometimes they're quite high, sometimes they're quite low. And 
if I were going to add another C word to our mix here, it might be choice. Because regardless of how we're feeling in any given day, each of those days we have the choice to show up, to learn, to do the best job we can do and try to build our competence. What do you think about that? I, I, I think that's absolutely crucial. Confidence is not absolute. No one is confident all the time. No one is confident in every subject. So we can choose to tap into our confidence. We can choose to enhance and broaden our confidence. I think choice is definitely an aspect here. And I think it's, it's really important to realize that confidence isn't an absolute state. And for women to feel like they have to strive for 100% confidence all the time is setting ourselves up for failure. I did want to give a personal illustration as it relates to confidence, competence, and courage. When I started facilitating workshops, I had no competence. And I can remember literally shaking with fear the first time I had to stand up with a flip chart <laughs> and lead a group discussion. And these were, these were loaded discussions on race and gender. So how did, I, how did I do it? Why am I today doing the work that I do? It's not because I had the competence, the professional competence required to be perfect, but I had enough confidence in my ability to learn and courage to push myself out of the comfortable competence to choose to broaden my areas of competence, which then broadened over time my confidence in those professional abilities. I love that. So and I think that's a perfect segue. That's such a wonderful example. Segwaying back to what you were saying, Michelle, on how fake it till you make it is bad advice. Why is that bad advice? And how does that differ from what Susan just described about the choice to show up and practice until she achieved competence? It's bad advice because it, it is incomplete advice. I would certainly say to people, you know, at, there are times when you have to put on your big girl pants and kind of front up, show up and just do it. And Susan's example of leading her first facilitation exercise is a great one. And I, I certainly resonate with that. And I I can remember when Susan and I first started working together and I wanted to watch, keep watching her deliver until I was kind of confident enough to do it myself. And that was because I didn't know the subject matter well enough. I could stand up in front of an audience and talk about pretty much anything as long as I knew what I was talking about. So my competence was a barrier back then. Interestingly, I was, I was just rereading about the 10,000 hours rule, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell principle that if you, anyone can become an expert with 10,000 hours worth of effort applied to, to developing a skill. Now, look, that's been kind of argued and semi-debunked and what have you, but the principle for me is that 
you can't continue to fake it until you make it unless you've got that competence. So the 10,000 hours rule, you've got to apply, you've got to learn your stuff and then you've got to, and it comes back to our, our leadership principle, you've got to have the skill and you've got to demonstrate the skill. So leadership or career success is dependent on your proven and your perceived leadership skills. And we want women to have the skill and demonstrate it. Many of the women that we work with, many of the women are completely and utterly competent, but they may not necessarily be demonstrating or have the confidence to demonstrate their competence to the right others. So sometimes, you know, fake it till you make it is incomplete standing on its own, but in and amongst building your competence, doing the 10,000 hours, trying to achieve mastery in the skill that that is required, the competence that is required, it can be useful, i.e., okay, take a deep breath and go out and present to the audience. Take a deep breath and present your business case. You know, it's a little bit of, it's complicated, but like a lot of advice given to women, taken on its own without some other pillars to, to stack around it or the Venn diagram, it is incomplete and it's doing a disservice. Michelle and Susan, I'd like to ask a little personal question here. Do either of you have a story around building your own confidence that you could share? Hmm. Yep. (laughs) I've got two that come to mind. And one of them was I was in... I was still working for Telstra and I'd moved into what was then the infrastructure side of the business. So it was it was infrastructure, man. It was, you know, pits, pipes, poles, technical men, you know, very male dominated. And I was the first big leadership town hall for this particular group. And I was I was no one. I'd come from an area where I was someone, so my brand was well known but I'd I'd made a strategic career move into this other part of the business. So coming up to this leadership town hall and I thought, okay, so here's Michelle. And for those of you who've been following our stories, you know that at that point I'm ambitious, I'm driven, uh, I want to make my mark and I want to have a career that soars. So I'm in a room, if you can picture it, a town hall with the, the graduated seating, with the leaders, you know, down the front doing their bits and the Q&A session starts. And at that point, I thought my goal here is to ask at least three questions. Now, I had no idea what question I was going to ask. And, you know, I was very interested, but I just thought uh, my goal is to ask three questions because, A, people need to not hear, particularly the people who, you know, the right others. B, I need to learn about this organisation. So I need to be quite thoughtful and and ask questions that are really going to help me learn more about the organisation. And C, I wanted to challenge myself because I was having a little crisis of confidence in this role because I'd come from a very familiar background. So I'd been in in contact centres, leading big contact centre delivery environments, and now I was in a very different part of of the world. And my skills and my my leadership skills were and and my strengths were still in, in high demand, but my technical skills weren't serving me any longer. So I needed to learn some new skills. So I was having a crisis of confidence and I thought, all right, Michelle, what would you tell someone else to do? And it was a little bit of fake it um, until you make it. So that was my goal. And 
So I asked my questions. And in fact, I asked more because I became very curious about, I really wanted to learn. The shorter story is I asked a lot of questions. And at the end of the conference, I won the prize for the person who asked the most questions during the, <laughs> during the conference. But I learned and I learned that I could put my hand up and stand up. And what I also learned as a part of pushing myself forward, so really challenging myself to not fake it till you make it, but to be more confident, outwardly confident, was I also learned that I was actually leading in service of others because other people said, that was a really great question. I'm so glad you asked it. So that's one story where not being confident and then pushing myself to be confident very much helped me and particularly around the perception of me as a leader. You're listening to Lead to Soar. You can listen again and share episodes you find helpful via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Find show notes and information about joining a career that soars by visiting leadtosoar.com. That's leadtosoar.com. Thank you for joining us. point about pushing yourself is a really important one because if I think about the moments in my career that stand out for me either as markers of becoming confident in a different space or the struggle to feel confident in a certain space they do have to do with pushing myself so I can think for example of, I'll give you two quick examples, one from early in my career and one from later. So early in my career, I don't think I had been with the large insurance company I I started my career in for more than six months. And my boss asked me if I would lead the United Way campaign in the States. The United Way is a nonprofit that helps underserved communities. And most large organizations have big campaigns. And in order to lead the campaign, I had to run a team, which I had never done before. And I had to speak to every employee in the auditorium through multiple presentations. And the confidence that I could draw on was that I was smart, I didn't have much of an identity as a business person at that point, but I was confident in who I was as a student coming into the organization after graduation. And the faith of my boss. So those were the things that I had, but I had to push myself into these difficult situations. So again, expand my competence and use my courage in order to do so. It was the most successful campaign that the company had run. So, you know, it worked out in the end. But what you talked about, Michelle, in terms of pushing oneself was a huge element. 
And then later in my career, the first time I had an opportunity to present leading women's services to a CEO and his team. That was a pretty scary thing because I knew in that particular situation that the CEO was a believer, but to a person, well, to a man, all the other members on his team were not. And I had to walk in to that room knowing that there would be a lot of hostility coming my way. And again, I drew on a whole different layer of competence than I had earlier in my career. I drew on my courage <laughs> and you know, I pushed myself into that situation and we got the gig. It was quite challenging, as you can imagine. So again, I go back to the idea that confidence isn't absolute. As we grow in our careers, the realms in which we have to feel confident change. And I think pushing ourselves, the idea of competence, the choosing to grow and broaden, I think those are all really important as we build confidence over time. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm just scribbling here thinking, so why why do we push ourselves? And so my next question, so why did I push myself and why did you push yourself in those environments or those situations, Susan? Because for me it was, yes, I was ambitious, yes, I was driven, but I was really clear about what my goals were. Even though I've, I've said to people I'm a rubbish goal setter, I knew my, my goal was to advance, go up, go up, go up, go up. And to do that, these were the behaviours that were expected. And so number one, I was really clear about why I was pushing myself. I wasn't pushing myself because someone else told me to. My inner drive and my inner my inner belief, I don't know if belief's the right word actually, but I was so clear that this was the stuff you needed to do to demonstrate that you're worthy of leading at the next level and the next level. And then the other side of it is that choice and trust. So I trusted myself. Now, it's interesting because I've just said before that I really didn't believe what was coming out of my mouth a lot of the time. But somewhere deep in that, I trusted that I was a good leader. In fact, I have known I'm a leader from a very early age. And I'm kind of thinking out loud now, Mel, but I trust. I had implicit trust in myself mm -hmm. that I was a leader. And I think there's that, for you, Susan, you had implicit trust in yourself and the content and the competence and the difference that you were going to make, the value that you were going to bring to that organisation or that group of people. I think that's a really important part, knowing where you're going and why and why this particular activity that's pushing you outside your comfort zone is so dreadfully important, but also that inner trust in yourself, the trust in what you're doing, the value that you're creating. There's something there that's, I think, really important. I would absolutely agree. I have a funny insight into myself in my early career. I have to embarrassingly admit that a lot of the reason why I pushed myself to succeed was because I was achievement-oriented, similarly to what you said about wanting to advance. But mm -hmm. also, I wanted the organization's read daddy's approval. 
So, you know, male. Oh, totally, totally. Male <laughs> approval, male approval, baby. Yeah. And, you know, I was about 29 when I got over that. And then I pushed myself more because I had big things I wanted to make happen. Oh, I wanted my God. the world to be a more equitable place. Yeah. Oh, that, um, oh, so. oh gee, I'm just going <laughs> far out, man. We are twins separated at birth. Um that that is so true, uh, and in a patriarchal society, a patriarchal yep. system of work, that is so true. And and I I am I think I am my dad's biggest fan, and my and perhaps my dad is my biggest fan. Sorry to my sisters if they ever listen to this, but um, <laughs> but that is so true. I, I've shared my leadership story and philosophy in other forums, but you know the first part of my life, the first third of my life, well, it'll soon become perhaps the quarter, um, I spent my life trying to be like my dad, get my dad's approval. And every every person in my life in a leadership position until I was 40 was male. So hello. Oh, my God. I just had the biggest awakening, Susan. Yes. All right. So we're ashamed together. Yeah. <laughs> I think these insights are really helpful for any of us who are struggling with, not struggling with, taking on the challenge of becoming increasingly confident. And confident in your own self yes, rather than yeah. the image that perhaps either you have or someone else's sort of created. What's the avatar, you know, you're trying to be like and why are you trying to be like that avatar? Why are you trying to occupy that avatar? So, Again, I'll, I'll quote Brene Brown, when we stand in our worthiness rather than hustle for it, you know, that is, that's nirvana. And, and for me, that's, that's so true. And it's so linked to confidence. And I think the other thing is around Laura Ryan, who I interviewed for Lead to Soar recently, she just said, you know, have you got the disease to please? And I went, oh God, hell yes. Well, I haven't got as much anymore. There's something about being a bit, you don't give a damn, but um, I had the disease to please as well, which you know, approval seeking and trying to please everyone means that you don't pay attention to yourself. You don't pay attention to your own greatness and you're bending yourself out of shape, trying to be this avatar, trying to please other people, which means, frankly, that is a recipe for a lack of confidence because you don't know who you are at the core of all that. It's a really, really important here, here. part. Susan and Michelle, when I think about everything that was just covered, there's so many layers to it. And I want to try to pull out a few points, particularly insights that might be useful for some women that are earlier in their careers. So I heard from you that when you're earlier in your career, you're still trying to find your way a bit as a businesswoman. And you do have to try some things and do some of the work to build your competence and confidence follows as a component of that. Susan, you also highlighted that confidence isn't absolute. And you both talked about things where as you grew in your career, you had to gain new skills, hone in on some of your existing skills, 
And confidence doesn't come at the beginning. It comes after you've developed competence in some of those areas. And then a final piece that I want to highlight is really, a, I think at the core, is around values. So some of us can fall into the trap of what one of our guests called the disease to please. And you've also highlighted here this idea that perhaps in a patriarchal system, we're kind of brainwashed to need to please our male superiors. So I want us to unpack that a little bit more and then maybe go into some myth debunking. When you were speaking about this, it reminded me of the values exercise in No Ceiling, No Walls. And it makes me think that that's such a fundamental piece of of yourself that you need to have clarity on to guide your decision making. Do you see the connection I'm trying to draw here about if you're clear on your values and then on your purpose, that should perhaps guide more where you're trying to please rather than relying on people outside of you to validate you. Spoken like someone who's intrinsically motivated. (laughs) So (laughs) some of us are highly motivated by our own inner worlds, and some of us are highly motivated by the external world. And what you've just described works beautifully for inner world motivated people. Outer world motivated people have to be clear about their values as well. They also factor in the feedback they're getting from the outer world in a way that's different from intrinsically motivated people. Yeah. And reflecting on that, on the intrinsic versus extrinsic, and in an autobiographical sense, I was very extrinsically motivated a lot of the time. And I think some of the the discord, which I had personally, Mel, in my the early to mid part of my career was that I am a very values-driven person, but I, I, I set them to one side a little because of the external markers that I considered important. And that discord I felt, and, and I guess that perhaps led to a lack of competence as well, going back right back to where we were talking about that because I was ex- so externally motivated and looked for the external markers, I didn't pay enough attention to the things that were really going to help me reach my full potential. And that was working, understanding my values really clearly and how they applied in all facets of my life. And if I reflect now, as I'm doing literally as I'm speaking, I can think of situations that I would not, if I had my time again, which of course we can't, I would not do things the way that I'd done them because I was externally, extrinsically motivated, i.e. trying to please others, trying to be something that I thought others wanted me to be or that the system wanted me to be. And I stopped paying attention or quietened or silenced my inner voice uh, that was saying, hey, this is not you. This is out of whack with your values, your beliefs. So 
for people, younger women or, or women at the start of their career journey and particularly those who have aspirations to move into leadership, getting in touch with your inner self and, and I'm not going all woo-woo here, but you know, what are my values? And I agree that that exercise uh, under lead from personal greatness in No Ceiling, No Walls is terrific because it it helps you understand what are these things that are really important to me, my belief system that will help me make decisions. And when you make decisions based on your values, based on your competence, that's what generates confidence. It's, it's great advice, Mel. It's, it's a great point to say, what are your values and how do you get in touch with them? And how does it help you make decisions? Even decisions like, should I stay or should I go? Should I accept this, this behavior or should I not? Or can I do more? And how can I do more in the context of my role and the greatness that I bring to that? So yeah, it's it's a great reflection on on how values are such an important part of confidence. And related to the disease to please, I think we may be uncovering a topic for a, a future episode around saying no. Yeah. <laughs> Boundaries. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about debunking myths about confidence. There is a dearth of information and recommendations and advice directed at women on confidence. Tell me some of what you've seen and what you would like to debunk or perhaps what you'd like to point out is incomplete. So <laughs> where, do you, where do we start? <laughs> um, yeah, where do you want to start? I would say in general that the majority of the guidance that's given to women about becoming more confident in the business world is incomplete, that it largely focuses on things that have to do with how one presents herself, uh, your, your posture, your eye contact how we dress, secondarily, how we engage other people. And all of those are important, but none of them have anything to do or have little to do with what Michelle and I have been talking about relative to competence. And it's absolutely crucial that confidence rests on a base of competence and that competence has to do with understanding the business that we're in and our identity as business women and our mantle of leadership and that is missing from the top 10 most most substantive articles that you might pull if you do a search on confidence in the workplace uh, it's missing from notable books on confidence, and it has done women a huge disservice as if the key to becoming confident is in how we appear. It just is not the case. It's a factor, but it's not the case. So I, I want to quote both uh, Susan and Ram Sharan. <laughs> and 
then I'm going to ask everyone listening to flip the switch. So whether you're a CEO, the head of a department or someone just starting her career, you must be a leader of the business and a leader of people. A leader of the business knows what to do. A leader of people knows how to get it done. So that's from Ram Sharan in what the CEO wants you to know. In No Ceiling, No Walls, we talk about being beware of conventional wisdom and leadership and women being successful business women and becoming, whether they want to be the CEO or just extraordinarily competent at whatever they choose to do, the way they dress, the way they speak in terms of the tone of the voice, the pitch of the voice is kind of incomplete. I would like to say it's irrelevant, but of course we know it's not irrelevant because women are judged on their appearance. But if all of you went to your CEO or whoever heads up your business today and said to that person, what is it that you want me to know? That person would not tell you about your hair, your clothes, the pitch of your voice. They would say, I want you to know how to help me grow this business. I want you to know your role in helping the business achieve its strategic and financial goals. So I get very animated with the BS that women are told because it is not telling them how to run a business. And that's where conventional wisdom, conventional advice, and the absolute washing and marinating of women in this rubbish advice gets me very, very frustrated because it's not telling them how to run a business. And that's why any book on confidence, any apart from yours, Susan, uh, any course, any article, please look at it really, really carefully and saying, is this telling me what I need to do to run the business? And if it's not, I'm sorry, discard it. (laughs) Or supplement it at the very, very, very least. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Hi folks, Michelle Redfern here. Hey, I want to talk to you about how anyone at any level can wear the mantle of leadership. Traditionally, when a queen is crowned, she dons the mantle and takes the staff of royalty. These are symbols of elevated responsibility. But hey, you're lucky. You don't have to wait for someone to give you your mantle of leadership. You can don it yourself right now. And when you do, the path to advancement and a career that soars gets a little clearer. Based on No Ceiling, No Walls, our six-week program, Your Mantle of Leadership, is perfect for emerging leaders. Or if you're in a more senior position but have never had the benefit of leadership development, our course is for you. In the six weeks, we focus on foundational leadership skills, we brainstorm leadership challenges and opportunities, and we talk about the successful moves that you need to make to take you from career start into early and middle management positions. So I look forward to seeing you in Your Mantle of Leadership, which you can find under Courses in A Career That Soars. The entire appearance thing is such a tricky subject because I believe that there are many different schools of thought out there. There are people who think it shouldn't matter, and so that's not something I'm going to give any attention to. And there are other people who, for themselves, they believe it matters quite a lot, and they they spend quite a lot of money on it. 
and believe that in making those choices, they're helping themselves to be more confident. And, you know, we kind of have to believe that, right? Because we're not inside their heads. Mm. I'd like to share a little anecdote and invite your comments on it. When I began early in my career, I started in an environment that was male-dominated and the habit of most people at the agency I worked at was to dress fairly casually. And I made a deliberate choice to show up in slightly dressier clothing, you know, more businessy clothing. And I did that because I wanted to send the signal that I was more serious about my work and that I wasn't going to just show up in jeans. That alone is not what created confidence for me. I had to learn. I had to do the hard work. And I got better over time and, you know, worked with my boss on on getting better and those types of things. But it for me, there were multiple layers, right? I made choices about my appearance, and I did the work. Yeah. So I have a similar story, but in reverse, Mel. Um, so let me let me just noodle on that out loud. <laughs> I think that you made a strategic decision for a range of reasons. Now, I, I, I'm not inside your head either, but you've given us a glimpse. Your strategy might have been this. I don't want to look the same as everyone else because I want to stand out and I want to stand out initially and then by standing out initially, I'll be then invited to be able to have an impact in a different way that perhaps if I looked and sounded like everyone else, I may not have because I'm just falling in with the rest of the crowd. And as a person who has been in the position of executive leadership, I would certainly make appearance-based initial judgments on staff. For example, if someone came into the workplace, irrespective of, you know, and, and look, and I've been in Australia, we've had kind of smart business casual for in various environments for, for quite a while. So if someone came in in a smart casual environment in a suit and tie, I'd go, hmm, that's really sharp. I wonder what they're up to. And maybe I would, if, if that person was close to me, I'd have a conversation to say, are you off for a job interview or something? You know, joking. But I would, I would single that person out and say, I'm curious about why you want to stand out. Now, that's the very blunt way, but I would do it in a conversational way. So, so Mel, I think it's a way you can use your appearance to send a message about something. So I think that applies to both women and men. So I have a friend who works for Facebook in the US, in California, and he wears a tie to work every single day. And, you know, Cam, if you're listening, and he's a terrific feminist man, so maybe he will be, he stands out. But that's his thing. That's his brand. It's the way he dresses. Wherever he is, he wears a tie. So, Mel, I think there's you can use your appearance quite strategically. So two things popped into my mind, Mel, when you were using your experience to broaden the conversation about appearance. One is that I believe that there is some truth 
to the adage, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. And by dressing the way professionals, one or two levels above you dress, it gives hiring managers a bit more confidence because as Michelle said, appearance does matter and it signals certain things. The other thought that popped into my head was the importance to me and I think of other women of having those power, the power clothes and the power jewelry, the stuff when, when I put it on makes me feel good about myself. So all the typical self-doubts that women are saddled with about our appearance drain away when my hair is the way I like it and when I'm wearing my favorite gold earrings and my pearl ring and when I'm wearing clothes that make me feel good. It's so easy to have confidence drained away when we're doubting our appearance. So that's what popped into my head about your example. Yeah. And my own example, Mel, was when I was still in in the corporate world and and this is a little bit going back to our how we we try to assimilate or you know become part of uh, you know the disease to please I guess and I was in this particular environment and I was going up an escalator and I looked around and I was in my my gray business suit with my relatively conservative hair, although some people wouldn't have said it was conservative at that stage. And I looked around, I thought, oh my God, as a person who's prided herself on being different and innovative and quirky, and I just look the same as everyone else. And I'm starting to sound the same as everyone else. So I literally that week cut my hair, did a different style, threw out my corporate clothes and started dressing the way that Susan described in a way that made me feel like me, that made me feel powerful and authentic. And the, you know, whilst the, you know, the, the clothes, they say the clothes maketh the woman, sometimes that's true, but it's, it's just part of a jigsaw puzzle of a whole bunch of things about making you confident. So for me, that was about stepping back into my authentic self and my authentic leadership. Now, I've got to say, on the side of that, I was also doing a hell of a lot of personal development work at the time about really discovering uh, or rediscovering my authentic leadership, really working out how I was going to have an impact on the world and the way I needed to do that. So I, I will be the first one to say that this wasn't some grand epiphany because I was going up an escalator looking like a, a grey-suited drone. I was doing a whole lot of other investment work in myself. But, you know, there, there is something around dressing for success. But if it's the only advice you're paying attention to and you're opting into a slavish, dogmatic way of dressing for success, like I had, perhaps that's that's doing you a disservice. So, yeah, my, mine was the flip of yours. I wanted to be different, Mel, as well, but in a different way. Um, but, but it was about my authenticity and believing in in my authentic leadership and bringing that. I think that's so important because if we are dressing in ways that 
don't make us feel confident it's not helping. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder though, and, and I want to flip this to how many pieces of advice are directed at our male colleagues about the way to speak, the way to dress, how to have your hair. Butcher here. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. There's still some time before this episode's over, so if you need to take a pause, this is a good point to do so. And while I have you here, I have a little favor to ask. If you've enjoyed this episode or other content we've produced, please take a moment to share with a friend or colleague whom you think could benefit. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow. Thank you again for downloading And thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Women in general are told to be confident in large part because we are being encouraged to be assertive and speak up. This is a double-edged sword for some women of color who, when they are assertive and speak up, bear the label of being seen as angry or hostile or disrespectful. And in that respect, I think we have to be really careful about recognizing that the advice to be confident, to speak up and be assertive Mm. isn't universally applied to all women. And when women are confident, are assertive and do speak up, it isn't universally accepted from all women. Yes, absolutely. So this resonates well with what we discussed on the 2020 reflections episode where you talked about i believe it was the ai expert who was fired yeah. from google yes and describing it as going from their pet to a threat so that is absolutely on point that women of color definitely Black women and Latina women have received that label and they have to walk the boundary between those two spaces of what what is acceptable in their workplace. So as Michelle and I have both touched upon and Mel in one of her examples touched upon Because the advice tends to focus on uh, personal aspects, the advice on confidence tends to focus on interacting with other people. And because it is sorely lacking in the advice to develop your business, your strategic and your financial acumen. So uh, to become a strong businesswoman, that base of competence is weak and shaky by adding in the advice that and the understanding that confidence rests on a base of competence and that 
for any woman who wants to build a career in an organization, that competence has to relate to understanding the business, where it's headed, your role in taking it there, its strategy, your and your team's contributions to achieving the strategy, the financial outcomes, the levers you push to move those outcomes in the right direction. It's to that extent that the base of confidence will be a strong, sturdy, sustainable base. And I, I would add, and I want to loop back to particularly our listeners who are emerging and establishing leaders, you know, at, at career start and, and moving, moving through into, into the mid part of their career. As an individual contributor, your confidence will come from knowing your job really well and doing your job really well and also knowing how to do and be ready for the next job that you can know really well and do really well. This is around your positional purpose. And your positional purpose, which you will find out more about in the book, No Ceiling, No Walls, and also in our course, Your Mantle of Leadership, is saying, what is my role in the organisation and how do I contribute to its strategic and financial outcomes? How do I use the greatness in me to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others? So, that advice, confidence comes from knowing your stuff really well. And for those of you at the start or, or starting to move through the beginnings of, of your career, know your job and do it really well. That's what brings confidence. I totally agree. And there, there are many other aspects to confidence that we haven't had time to touch on that we will be able to address in our upcoming program on confidence. For example, there are two really important dimensions of confidence that has to do with, do I feel confident, which we've been talking about throughout this podcast. But the other dimension is, am I seen as confident? Yep. And we have a lot to share about that, but we don't have time to do that today. And then how confidence manifests in our assertiveness in our speaking up in meetings, in our ability to self-promote. We haven't had time to talk about that today, but we will when we deliver our course on confidence within a career that soars. So we hope that we'll see you there. Inside a career that soars, we host regular courses on different topics that are designed to help you progress in your career. And we are finalizing one on confidence that will cover what Susan described. We will cover things like how confidence manifests itself in different career stages. We will go into a deep dive on business outcomes and why those are important. So Susan and Michelle Thank you so much for sharing the time today to cover this very complex topic of confidence and give us a preview to what's coming in the course. I'd like to just ask now if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners. Well, actually, the thought I would like to leave any listeners with is that confidence is a journey. No one will ever be fully confident in every single and any, any situation she enters. I know from interviewing Fortune 500 women CEOs that moving 
into that position, caused them to question their capabilities. So as Mel said earlier, they, and, and Michelle, they pushed themselves to learn what they had to learn to become confident at that level. So it's a journey. And hanging on to what you know are your bases of confidence is much more important and much more functional than the self-talk that says, well, I'm not confident. Everyone has bases of confidence. And anytime that little voice wants to tell you you're not confident, tell it to be quiet <laughs> and that you're working on it and that it comes over time. So my final thoughts are that I want women to go beyond the headline around how to be more confident. I want them to really, really think about what is confidence and how and what do I need to do to achieve the goals that I've set for myself. So I want them to think about confidence is not appearance-based, the way your voice sounds, but it's it's so much more. So my, my final piece of advice is go beyond the headline, go deeper and really think about what does the CEO really want you to know about being confident? The CEO really wants you to know about being confident about how to run the business. Then ask yourself, is the advice you're getting about confidence really going to help you do that? So that's my final thoughts, Mel. Thank you. and. I have one final thought that I definitely see this with confidence, but also in some other areas of life. We all have a sort of voice and narrative running in our head. And on bad days, it can be really difficult. And that's that's what I think about with what I said earlier around confidence being a feeling and it kind of waxing and waning. But the great thing is that we all have a choice. We have a choice every single day that we're lucky enough to wake up alive in this world to choose how we're going to show up and choose our actions. And I think if we direct those towards competence, our confidence will definitely follow. Maybe we wish there was a magic pill to just make us feel confident 100% every single day, but that doesn't exist. Our choice exists every single day, though. Here, here. Here, here. That's really excellent. Susan and Michelle, thank you so much. This was a wonderful episode, and I'm looking forward to future episodes we're going to make together, especially based on s several of the topics that came out of this call. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Susan. <laughs> Thank you for downloading Lead to Soar. When you have a moment, consider popping us a kind rating and review on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And we always appreciate when you share Lead to Soar with friends and colleagues. Your support helps us to continue building this amazing free resource. Lead to Soar is hosted by Michelle Redfern and executive produced by Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher. You can reach Michelle directly at michelleredfern.com. And you can reach Mel directly by visiting melbutcher.com. 
Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more about joining A Career That Soars by visiting leadtosoar.com and clicking the ACTS link. That's leadtosoar.com. Thank you for joining us. sure that's where we were starting. Oh, you put number okay. one there. So I thought that's where you wanted to go. Oh, yeah, it was, but I forgot. Oh. <laughs> no, no, that, I'm sorry. That, that's so good. <laughs> ah, too funny.